Political Climate is supported by Fish Tank PR. Before green hydrogen was the topic du jour, before every energy analyst was debating the next two quarters of storage cost declines, the Fish Tank team was entrenched in the clean tech and sustainability sector. Fish Tank brings together industry expertise and a love for storytelling. They're dedicated to putting in the time on media outreach to deliver your company meaningful transactional coverage. Whether your organization is scaling as you go for your Series B or expanding globally and reaching new customers and partners, find out the difference Fish Tank can offer at fishtankpr.com forward slash canary. That's F-I-S-C-H tankpr.com forward slash canary. Political Climate is brought to you by MCE. A decade ago, Californians started a climate action movement and launched MCE, the state's first community choice energy provider. Community choice providers empower local communities to make their own decisions about the source of their electricity. Today, MCE offers nearly 40 Bay Area communities almost twice the amount of renewable energy compared to the state average. The power of MCE is about more than clean energy. It's the power of people over profit. Learn more at mcecleanenergy.org. The budget really invests in our students and our students in California and our youth as our climate heroes of tomorrow. Hello, everyone. Happy New Year. I think we can still say that. Welcome to Political Climate, a bi-weekly podcast on energy and environmental issues in America and around the world, presented by the USC Schwarzenegger Institute and in partnership with Canary Media. As always, I am your host, Julia Piper, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Brandon Hurlbutt, a clean tech investor, policy consultant with Boundary Stone Partners, and a climate activist. Brandon, how are you? Good to see you, Julia. Good to see you. I was noting you look like you're primed set up for your podcast in this little armchair. It's like tea time I with Brandon. I just want to make you proud. Spill the tea with Brandon. <laughs> you make me proud every day. Do the best. Good to see you do. In a moment, we'll be joined by another special guest to chat about some timely news coming out this week in the state of California. I said this is a bi-weekly podcast, but actually we are doing back-to-back episodes this week because of this timely news, which is that on Monday, January 10th, just one day ago, California Governor Gavin Newsom unveiled his proposed budget for fiscal year 22 to 23. And that $286 billion spending plan includes a whopping $22 billion for climate, water, and wildfire initiatives, which will be spent over the next five years. This allocation marks a significant jump over the previous year's budget, which included $15 billion in climate resilience investments. So today on the podcast, we want to take a look at what the climate and clean energy portions of that spending plan are. And to do so, we are joined by Lauren Sanchez, Senior Advisor on Climate for the Governor. Lauren previously served as senior advisor for the special presidential envoy for climate, John Kerry, in the Biden-Harris administration. She was also deputy secretary for climate policy and intergovernmental relations at the California Environmental Protection Agency from 2019 to 2021. And previous to that, she was international policy director at the California Air Resources Board. Lauren was also a climate negotiator at the U.S. Department of State and served on the Paris Agreement negotiating team. Lauren, thank you so much for taking the time to chat. We are so excited to have you on the podcast and learn all about what's happening in the Golden State on climate and energy and what's in the governor's plan. 
Thanks so much, Julia, for having me. Hi, Brandon. Great to see you. Oh, it's always so good to see you, Lauren. Lauren is, you know, we've been fortunate on the show to have a few of the next generation leaders uh, on as guests. And Lauren certainly is one of the leaders in climate that I'm so excited about and makes me optimistic that we're going to solve this. Oh, man, I'm I'm honored. I have to say you're listening to your podcast definitely makes me feel optimistic about our future and our chances of saving the planet. Well, not Shane's comments, of course. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Shane works yeah, hard well, on these issues. We just issues. get to make fun of Shane because he's not here. That's what happens. Yeah. You don't show up. Right. Shane Skelton, our co-host who is often on the show, is not here today. He sat this one out. So, yeah, sure. Fair game. You know, Lauren, I want to get into the details of the governor's plan, but I am curious just on that note of optimism. We're speaking as U.S. missions. We just learned spiked in 2021. And so sometimes it just feels like, damn, there's so much progress. And then we take a step back. You know, I'm just curious to kick this off. How do you feel about our state of play on climate action today as someone who's been seeped in this space for a while? You know, Julia, um, I have to say, I think like it's been quite the roller coaster. I feel like those of us that work in the climate space have to continually choose hope and optimism uh, when confronted like emissions uh, spiking in 2021 or seven of the hottest years on record being the last seven years. I mean, just living here in California, you know, experiencing the climate impacts day to day. Um, it takes a, a special kind of strength and resilience, I think, to, to hold on to that hope. You know, listening to the governor cover the budget and crafting it with all of our our agency partners and our finance directors, it did feel a little bit like Christmas morning. And so that was incredibly helpful, hopeful. You know, the governor, the state has quite the revenue surplus. And we were thrilled that the governor early on decided to spend a lot of it on climate. When I first sat down with him, he was very adamant that we needed to dramatically increase, you know, the scale and ambition of our efforts across the board. And it feels like the proposal he unveiled yesterday really finally tackles the problem with the magnitude of investment, but also the vision that is required to tackle this crisis. So all told, together with the $15 billion package from last year, he proposed an additional $22.5 billion. So over six years, California is proposing to spend $37 billion on climate change. And as someone who's worked in the federal government, I really just have to pause when I see the B after the numbers. <laughs> we are on you know, the spending scale of other nations. And the governor said this in his press conference yesterday when he unveiled $10 billion just to zero emission vehicles. He said, you know, I could essentially be the United States government <laughs> committing to this, but no, we're a state. And so just, you know, really, really blown away by the scale. But Julie, I think what inspires me most about the budget is that it aims to embed equity and economic opportunity across all of our climate investments. You know, the governor has been very clear in saying that we know the climate agenda can deliver economic justice and social justice. And while it breaks my heart that Californians are suffering from the climate crisis every day, we know that they're also suffering from a housing crisis, an affordability crisis, an income inequality crisis. And so you know, the budget is really us shifting into offense and thinking about how we can better communities and better livelihoods and also tackle this crisis simultaneously. Um, the other thing that, you know, was, a, I think, a personal passion of mine, we've talked about what it would look like to manifest an all of government approach to climate for years now. And the budget is really not just all of government, but all of society. I w had the privilege of being on a, uh, a stakeholder call yesterday with all of our agencies, 
involved in the climate budget. And we had 10 different agency secretaries. And so we really, the proposal really moves climate towards not just an environmental issue, but investments in housing, in transportation, in education, in our healthcare, and making sure that we are, you know, driving on all cylinders as California shapes its climate plan going forward. So Lauren, we have a pretty sophisticated uh, audience for political climate. Can you maybe break down um, maybe in some buckets of like power generation and storage, clean transportation, building decarb, industrial emissions, some of the highlights in this proposed budget? And then if it were to go forward, how could, you know, stakeholders that are listening to this call or this podcast, how could they work with the California government to access that? Yeah, happy to, Brandon. Um, you know, pouring over these numbers for the last few months means that I enjoy rattling them off the top of my head. So essentially what we have in the, and I'll just focus on the $22.5 billion that the governor proposed yesterday. We have $6 billion of that going just to zero emission vehicles and our ZEV agenda. I'd love to talk about that one in more detail. It's definitely an area of leadership for the governor over the last three years, we have a $2 billion energy package, which broadly breaks down to a billion for clean energy and a billion for equitable building decarbonization. Of Since you brought up industrial emissions, of the billion for the energy package, we have 210 solely dedicated to industrial decarbonization, knowing how hard the, I think it's 11% of our emissions in the industrial sector in the state, maybe 18 will be to decarbonize on our path to, you know, carbon neutrality by 2045. We have 1.2 billion dedicated to wildfire and forest resilience and our firefighting crew. And I have to make a special plug here because we have $400 million proposed specifically to support the mental and behavioral health of our firefighting crew. As you both know, being uh, here in California, the endless toll of fighting fires has just really taken a toll on our crews uh, working 20-hour days away from their families for weeks at a time. And so really excited to build a program that can really support them in the state. We have $9 billion specifically dedicated to transportation, which is to broadly say our state DOT has traditionally maybe not played has not been as climate aligned as our advocacy community might hope. And so we proposed a number of strategic kind of active transportation investments and investments in our transit and rail to make sure that, you know, we have 30 million vehicles on the road in California. And we know that we can't just switch all of those over to electric vehicles. We also need to get Californians out of their cars and onto affordable, accessible, clean transit we have seven hundred fifty so, million. So, Lauren, on that point, <laughs> um, if you're a, you know, if you want to buy an electric vehicle, how would that work for you? Or let's say on the buses or trucks, and you want to swap those out, will that money flow through to like local transit agencies, or will they apply at the state level? Can you provide a little bit of like um, insight on how that will work? Sure, happy to. So, of the and I'll refer to $10 billion because last year we had a $4 billion ZEV package. This year we're proposing another $6 billion, so it's 10 in total. And I would just maybe start by framing, Brandon, the decades of leadership that California has demonstrated on first cleaning up our cars and now moving to electric vehicles is 
something the state is incredibly proud of, but knows that we need to continue to accelerate. We have a million of those 30 million vehicles I mentioned are right now Zevs. We have half the country. Yeah, I've got one. Shane's got one, but Julia good, good to hear. Not one, if by you, the way. <laughs> if you, we're trying if to you, give her Julia. If you're having any trouble with them, maybe let's talk about that after the podcast. <laughs> uh, I don't have a car, so I'm actually even less carbon emitting than oh, the EV hey, drivers. Just saying. <laughs> Julia wins. Yeah. So for let's just spend a minute on passenger vehicles. The state has had a uh, program called the Clean Vehicle Rebate Project, where individuals can receive rebates you know, very similar to what kind of the feds are proposing in terms of tax credits. We have seen that, Brandon and Julia, uh, looking at the data, mostly provide subsidies for uh, higher income Californians. And so what the state did a number of years ago was build out a number of programs that are really focused on getting low income Californians into electric vehicles, into electric van pools, uh, car shares deployed in communities across the state. And so what you saw yesterday in the governor's Zev proposal was a big focus on getting, you know, if a million electric vehicles are on the road right now, how do we make sure that the next million are lower and moderate income Californians? How can we make them as ubiquitous and accessible as we know that they need to be in order to hit, you know, a lot of our ambitious climate goals and clean transportation goals? On the point of clean trucks, uh, we have a program that essentially cleans out transit buses, drayage trucks, heavy-duty trucks. The state does a lot of those rebates directly with fleets, but we also administer a lot of money through our local air districts, so it kind of varies. But if folks are interested, I would go check out the Air Resources Board website where you can kind of navigate all the different funding pots. And then I'm so glad you brought up school buses, Brandon, because we proposed one and a half billion dollars in funding for electric school buses yesterday. And our preliminary numbers suggest that that would replace one third of the entire state fleet (laughs) to electric. And when I think about kids, Californian students riding dirty diesel buses to their classrooms, you know, it's heartbreaking. And so by getting kids into cleaner buses, we're not only protecting their health and maybe, you know, inspiring a few of them to join the climate movement along the way. We have a number of bus manufacturers in state. So it's a great economic opportunity and jobs message as well. Arnold Schwarzenegger talks about this all the time, how once people understood the asthma impacts, suddenly the whole climate issue came into such clear focus when people were mm-hmm. like, that is that is the impact of climate change that I'm feeling in my own house is my my child having this health issue because of the emissions affiliated with, you know, fossil fuels. And that uh, really shaped California policy for actually quite a while under his uh, his administration. Absolutely, Julian. I feel like the climate movement hasn't I take (laughs) some responsibility in not focusing on health impacts enough. And yesterday, the governor proposed half a billion dollars specifically targeting climate health impacts. And so when I sat down with our HHS, our health agency, and our Department of Public Health, who, mind you, are spending 25 hours a day working on COVID and protecting Californians from that, they were so excited to be brought into the climate discussion. So we are funding local health planning resilience grants and a community health worker program that would train 25,000 Californians, community health workers to go into communities and talk to community members about public health impacts because of climate change. And whether it's asthma or extreme heat or valley fever, 
we know that, you know, the way to engage Californians most effectively while also protecting them is directly on their health and the health of their children. So I'm excited that the budget really tried to drive on that. So you talked about electric vehicles, building electrification, I know, is another major focus, which also has a health impact because research has now come out showing how gas stoves can actually be harmful for children and and that sort of thing. Talk more about that building electrification plan. What does that involve? What does that look like? I've talked about going on my own electrification journey and how it's not as easy as you think to get the products you want and the contractors aren't necessarily up to speed on it. So how would the governor's plan help tackle those 40% of emissions that I think come from decisions made in the home? Yeah, such a great question, Julia. And I feel this is uh, going to be an exciting focus for us and the Energy Commission, the Air Resources Board this year, because as you know, um, unlike vehicles, which turn over every 10 years, I think on it, five to 10 years, we I, let me check that for California, um, our existing building stock will carry emissions for much longer. And so it's an important sector for us to target and decarbonize over the next few years. So of the billion dollars, uh, $600 million of that is specifically going into low-income buildings and low-income homes and funding replacements for gas appliances, while also doing upgrades like energy-efficient lighting, weatherization, building insulation, and kind of a, a whole healthy home retrofit for our low-income communities. There's another $300 million that is specifically for consumer rebates. So for those consumers that are trying to switch to an electric heat pump, the state is stepping in to essentially make it cheaper and more or more affordable for Californians to make that switch. And then I have to nerd out on this one uh, because of my kind of past in the the global climate movement um, and the Montreal Protocol, but we have $40 million specifically going to low global warming potential refrigerants. So as you know, HFCs are a massive issue. And when we actually do the modeling for California out to 2045, HFCs are some of the longest lasting emissions in the economy, and they are the fastest growing source of GHGs in the state. And so the state is going to fund programs to do refrigerant swap outs at grocery stores for air conditioning and try to tackle HFCs head on. Hey, Shane isn't here, but he did work on that issue. I know. Got to give him credit <laughs> for that. He, you know, he's going to have so much FOMO. Yeah, yeah. He was instrumental in uh, helping work on some of those policies at the federal level. I guess just to pull this into the real world a little bit, you're talking about these rebates, these dollar amounts, and they're great. They're awesome. Like, talk about being optimistic. Like, I'm feeling the vibes. But then I'm like, <laughs> what is the real world? How does a California resident, A, find out about the rebates, who administers them? Like, what would this look like if it passes, if it becomes law? How do people actually know what's there? Because there can even be, as I understand, injustice and who gets to learn about a rebate and then ultimately take advantage of it. So how are you thinking about that? I I think broadly, Julia, this is um, the state is behind on getting this type of information out into communities, specifically vulnerable communities or those that lack, uh, you know, web access or the ability to come to our public workshops. And so definitely a question that I have to focus on with our agencies, um, because it can be incredibly confusing. If you have to go to three different agencies 
to get rebates for three different appliances. You know, I'm not (laughs) as hopeful about broad adoption as we need to be in order to tackle this crisis. I, I think one of the visions we could move towards is essentially like a common app. If you remember when we were applying for college, you would fill out one application and then it would go to a bunch of different colleges all at once. Like it'd be great if the state had a portal where a community or a household or a business could essentially fill out one app and then could be matched with all of our rebate programs across different agencies. Ooh, I'm liking it. If you don't do it, somebody in the private sector should do that. (laughs) That's a winning idea right there. I'd invest in that. Political Climate is supported by Fish Tank PR. Fish Tank PR is a public relations and marketing firm that was listed as one of Inc. Magazine's 5,000 fastest growing businesses in America last year. As the cleantech and sustainability sectors have boomed, so has Fishtank. But unlike many large PR firms, the Fishtank team has been immersed in cleantech for more than a decade, delivering results for clients ranging from renewable energy producers and software platforms to battery manufacturers and green builders. From PR and digital marketing to content writing, the team at Fishtank helps you develop a strategy of bringing your work to not only wider audiences, but the right audience. They'll listen and learn about the work you're doing on the ground as part of the climate tech revolution and translate that into visibility and strong narratives for your projects. To learn more about Fishtank's approach to clean tech and services, go to fishtankpr.com forward slash canary. That's F-I-S-C-H tankpr.com forward slash canary. Political Climate is brought to you by MCE. MCE was California's first community choice energy provider. For more than 10 years, MCE has helped communities across the Bay Area source significantly more renewable energy compared to the state's average. Nearly 40 communities are now a part of MCE, and together they're leading on climate action for a brighter future. But the power of MCE is about more than clean energy. It's the power of people over profit. It's community power. MCE's efforts on climate justice and energy innovations have helped vulnerable populations qualify for programs like electric vehicles, energy storage, energy savings, and more. By building and buying more renewable energy, MCE puts the power back in your hands. We all deserve a fossil-free future that combats climate change and prioritizes energy equity. Learn more and take action at mcecleanenergy.org. Lauren, thank you, you know, for your service. I mean, it's amazing. Um, your work at CARB, going into the, you know, Biden-Harris administration, coming back to California to lead this effort. It's just really amazing. So now there's been this healthy sort of competition we've had with other states, right? It's kind of an East Coast, West Coast thing going on with New York, but in a good way trying to address this issue. Uh, does this make California number one uh, again? And if so, how do we you know, enact it? What's the process? You've announced this. What happens next? Great question, Brandon. And um, a, a healthy amount of competition, I would say, between us states. But I appreciate being pushed by our colleagues in New York and Washington and around the country. And as you know, through coalitions like the U.S. Climate Alliance, we're always thinking about synergies across states. And as we all wait for 
our friend Manchin in the White House um, and Build Back Better to deliver climate investments. You know, states aren't waiting and we're very much driving forward the agenda. In terms of process on the budget, and forgive me while I get wonky into kind of California politics, although I will point out 40 million people were basically our own nation state over here. Uh, the governor's largest economy, right, Lauren? Fifth largest economy. We're, uh, you know, fast clip headed towards Germany and Japan. So, <laughs> yeah, we so the governor proposed his budget yesterday on the 10th. Now we have uh, the distinct pleasure of negotiating with our partners in the legislature. I'll take a moment to remind listeners of our they call it now a super majority um, in terms of democratic representation in our assembly and Senate. And the governor will actually propose a revised budget in May uh, that will reflect updated financial projections from the state. So these numbers could change significantly, which means we're really excited to work with stakeholders and community members around the state to hear from them on other proposed investments. And then the budget has to be enacted by June 15th per California constitution. So now we're going on a six-month campaign around the state to think about how we we mobilize and best invest in our communities. So how does that process go exactly? Is the governor's proposal a blueprint and then the lawmakers will decide what's in, what's out of those proposals, kind of like at the, the federal level? You know, how, how much of it is likely to become law, I guess? What's sort of the precedent for that? Yeah, well, Julia, we have the distinct pleasure again here in California, you know, of having a number of climate champions in our Senate and Assembly. So I think we're all feeling very confident that they will continue to prioritize climate investments across the board. Joe Biden must be so jealous of this dynamic. (laughs) (laughs) I have to say, Brandon, you know, when we when we worked with our federal partners on this uh, budget, they asked if they could borrow just two Democratic legislators for the next few weeks. (laughs) Yeah, that's all they need is two. Maybe just one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I guess I would also point out, Julia, I mean, you know, we enjoy close partnership with our legislative leaders, but broader than that. You know, the California public really supports this agenda. Recent polling suggests that 80 percent of Californians support bold and urgent climate action. And so, again, you know, to use the Christmas morning metaphor, I love my job because we enjoy a lot of public support, a lot of legislative support. We have a big revenue. And so it feels like our runway is really long in terms of, you know, transformative climate action for the year. No pressure on follow through. Just saying. <laughs> um, yeah. Because I gotta think, think big. <laughs> yeah. Well, like a, a little, you know, talking point I have in general is there's a lot of 100% clean electricity goals around the country. And that's great. Those are good headlines and those are good initiatives. And I then have to ask the question, you know, as a longtime former reporter, how are you going to get there? Show me your work. You know what I mean? And so I think mm-hmm. that's um, a good question to ask for sure when I would welcome this. Um, but I just hope we can figure out the A to B because there's a lot in between here and there, especially when we get into like the higher levels of decarbonization, which I don't really have to tell anyone in this room. <laughs> Thousand percent agree, Julia. And I guess I would just, you know, we have already made significant, since you brought up 100% clean energy, we, the state has made significant progress transitioning towards our clean grid. But where I think we're now at 63% carbon-free electricity in California is great. But The acceleration of climate impacts has now shown us that we need to speed up the pace that we're moving to 100% clean electricity, but also make strategic investments to ensure a strong grid 
and a reliable grid. And, you know, this has been a, a hot topic with all of our energy officials across the state. And so what you saw yesterday in the governor's proposal was a number of strategic investments in technologies like long duration storage and green hydrogen that will as we continue to strive towards the lofty 100% goal and think about even accelerating it, make sure that we're doing so in a way that continues to ensure reliability across the state. So we're talking about building electrification. And one of the key technologies in achieving that is residential or rooftop solar. This is the ability to actually generate your own clean electrons on site. And right now, California utility regulators are proposing an overhaul of the state's net metering program, which is a key policy for rooftop solar. The new plan would dramatically reduce payments for solar power fed into the grid and impose high fixed fees on rooftop solar systems. Many solar industry advocates have raised concerns about the plan, saying that it could actually jeopardize jobs and and small businesses. Admittedly, this is a sector that I'm tracking closely, that I, I work in. So Lauren, I'd love to get your thoughts on how the Newsom administration is thinking about net metering and distributed energy policy as it relates to your broader climate goals. Yeah, thanks, Julia. Um, This question actually came up to the governor yesterday at his budget press conference, and his response was, we have a lot of work to do on the draft proposal. And so I think I'll leave it at that, but would just also point to the governor's track record ever since he was mayor of San Francisco and really championing clean energy and uh, technologies like rooftop solar you know, over the last two decades, they've really, uh, these types of technologies have really helped propel California towards our clean energy goals, but into the position of global leadership we've enjoyed, uh, if I can be so bold. So definitely looking forward to continuing to hear from the public and uh, watching the independent PUCs vote later this month. So another key thing shifting gears are these tax credits in the governor's plan. Lauren, can you walk us through what those are and what they'll do? Yes. And let me first back up, Julia, and maybe describe kind of the mandate the governor gave us in thinking about not just these tax credits, but the budget broadly. So if you look at how the state set up investments in infrastructure in order to unleash things like aerospace or biotech or the information technology revolution, like California has this unique ability to drive global and societal disruptive change. Uh, One could even make the argument for Hollywood. (laughs) And so the governor, I think, wants us to make sure that we are using our full export capacity. And so we sat down with our finance colleagues and many thinkers across the state and said, in unleashing the biotech transformation or aerospace, which for the record, built the black middle class here in California, what could that look like on climate? And how could we do it in a way that really led with equity? And so that's why you see a number of investments in our schools and research. We gave a, I think, 300 million, I should check, to our UC and CSU and community college higher education institutions to really build out and fund applied research, innovation and workforce training. And then separately, we, we dedicated a billion dollars just to job training programs for jobs we know we're going to need in the climate future, whether it's oil well capping, offshore wind, handling zero mission equipment at our ports or our forest and fire crew. And so really thinking strategically about how we invest in Californians, in our students and in our future innovators and technicians and farmers that are really going to 
you know, help us save the world. And a key part of that was thinking about our tax credits. So the budget has two key tax credits in it that we're excited to work with a lot of different stakeholders and thought leaders on over the next few months. And the first one is the Innovation Headquarters Credit. So that'll be a new program that will specifically dedicate $250 million per year for the next three years. And this is on top of the R&D credit that the state already does. And it will be specifically dedicated to California headquartered companies that are invested in activities and technologies to work on climate change. And then secondly, we'll have a green energy tech credit, which will be about $100 million for a year, again, for three years. It'll be a refundable credit that will fund pre-development costs for technologies. And this is everything from, as we've talked about, EV manufacturing and infrastructure, lithium extraction, battery manufacturing, the long duration storage I talked about, uh, you know, methane technologies, hydrogen So part of the vision is to ask ourselves, how can Californians share more broadly in the gains from these innovations? So our vision is to structure the credit so that if the business becomes profitable, a share of those profits will be repaid to the state and distributed to Californians. So good friend of the pod, Danny Kennedy, uh, has been talking about Lithium Valley for years. Uh, Got me really excited about it. Lauren, you're going big on this. Tell us what you're doing. So again, in the same mindset, Brandon, of how can climate deliver economic and social justice? The state of California has one third of the global supply of lithium in the Salton Sea and mostly impoverished community down by the border. We know that lithium is becoming an increasingly critical resource as not only California and the nation, but the entire world moves to our clean energy future and needs batteries for electric vehicles and for storage. We have these abundant, untapped lithium reserves, but really want to do right by the community and by the workers of the Salton Sea. And so one of the visions the governor articulated in the budget yesterday was how could we make sure that we are extracting that lithium in the most environmentally sound approach, but also create a revenue share model for the community and make sure that as the state sets up a regulatory framework to do things like streamline permitting that we know takes a long time in California, let's be honest with ourselves, we're doing so in a way that brings community benefits and things like labor standards and really creates a model for, you know, we have this amazing resource here in the state, you know, similar to how other states have done sovereign wealth funds for oil, we want to figure out a way that we could unleash this lithium revolution, but very much center it on communities and workers. So excited about this. Like, this is the number one thing that I, uh, you know, I want to see happen in the energy transition is always be able to say, well, we know where the resources come from and we know that the clean resources are 360 degrees better. And I think we can always feel confident in that because already today, like fossil fuel, you have to crack open the earth. Communities are displaced. Advocates are sometimes jailed in certain countries. So like, I do believe already clean energy is better, plus low carbon, obviously. But if we can attack the supply chain issue, we kind of end that entire discussion and we can figure out the best possible ways to create this clean energy future. And so I'm so excited to hear California is really going to lead on that. And we need a lot of partners to do it, Julia. So excited to work with you and Brandon and others. (laughs) Absolutely. 
And if anyone doesn't know, the Salton Sea is a wild place. I think if I'm, if I got my California history correct, they were diverting a, a river, the Colorado River, if I'm not mistaken, and they, they messed it up and the water busted through and ended up creating this massive lake in the desert. And that became a resort community for a brief time. And, and people like Frank Sinatra went there. And now the Salton Sea has all these little abandoned holiday homes and has become this sort of stagnant body of water. Uh, but as you noted, Lauren, there are communities around there. There's this amazing artist um, village as well. So it'll be really interesting to see what comes of that place in, uh, in California, which has a very interesting history. Yeah. And Julie, I'd love to, you know, dive deeper on kind of the history of water in California and <laughs> how that's led us to where we are today. But I think I'd need a lot more mezcal. We need a longer <laughs> podcast. Um, yeah. Well, this is all super great, Lauren. So we talked about being, you know, maybe a little discouraged by headlines that emissions are back on the rise. Coal use actually spiked last year. It's a wild world we're living in. We're still in the middle of a pandemic, and I know the governor's plan has elements of that too. But climate, I am heartened to say, is, is staying top of the agenda in many places, it feels. So I know you have a lot of work ahead of you, Lauren, but appreciate you and the Newsom administration for, for showing leadership in this moment. And yeah, just really appreciate you making time to explain it all to us. Thanks so much, Julianne Brandon, and uh, onward together. <laughs> yeah, we've been wanting to have you on for so long. This is so great. You know, I, I left... Uh, the East Coast. Everyone knows I grew up in Chicago and was in D.C. for 15 years and came to California when Trump won because I wanted to be in a place that aligned with my values. I wanted to be proud of where I live. And this budget, what you're doing, you and the governor, uh, I'm just so excited and thrilled to be in a place where you're leading on this. And I think count me you know, in for whatever you need to do to support that and our listeners too. If there's things that um, you all think of out there that you want to uh, do to support this, let us know. We'll make sure we get you all connected up. Yeah, I guess I would just, um, Brandon and Julia, maybe leave you with one of the things I talked to the governor about in crafting this budget was him really articulating a future, a state that we can all see ourselves in. And you know, out here living on the front lines of the climate crisis, I do feel like this budget gives us a lot of hope. But I also would encourage Californians, um, you know, the most hopeful I felt last year was definitely talking with, with a youth leader here in California, a young Latina, Alexandria Villasenor, about her vision for how we save the state and how we center youth and communities, um, you know, in all of our solutions. And I do feel like the budget really invests in our students and our students in California and our youth as our climate heroes of tomorrow. And although I'm only 32 and still try to pretend oh that oh, I'm man. a part of the youth movement. <laughs> yeah. Hey, me too, I, uh, me too. <laughs> they, they inspire me every day. Um, and, you know, we're doing this for them. I really, really believe that. Well, I said it before, people always laugh, but I don't mind paying taxes in California, I have to say. <laughs> um, it's a beautiful state. Yeah. Beautiful, well, beautiful state. Thank you again, Lauren. And talk about reaching out. Our listeners can find us at P-O-L-I underscore climate on Twitter, poly underscore climate. Shoot us a message there if you have questions for Lauren or about the show or just any future show that you have thoughts about or something you want us to cover. Uh, reach out there. You could also send us a message at politicalclimatepodcast.com. Thanks also to our editor, Kyle McDonald, and to our producer, Maria Virginia Alano with Canary Media. Thanks to you all for listening. Remember to hit subscribe. See you again soon.